0: Think about what that list of things uh, may have in common, which you will see uh, on the screens before you. It's a variety of issues. Can you discern anything that they have in common, though they be so different? And uh, what I'd like for you to do is uh, either stand or just turn to someone sitting next to you. See what you come up with. Uh, perhaps you came up in your discussion, perhaps you came up uh, with things such as these. All of these issues, uh, number one, are based on deep personal convictions by the one who holds them. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, my goodness. These are uh, almost issues that we're willing to fight over. Uh, uh, Secondly, all of these issues have this in common. They are issues on which Christians are free to disagree. Do you agree with that? Okay, well, good. So far, we're doing all right. Three, uh, all all of these uh, are are not connected to specific biblical commands. What do you think of that one? Okay, good. Two of you so far. And then, uh, how about this? Um, All of these issues are important, for sure, yet non-essential issues. Do you agree with that one? Know what I mean? Okay, so there's a lot of... This is just a sampling, uh, the issues you saw earlier. This is just a sampling of things. Now, look, folks, I know and you know there are clear moral commands in the Bible uh, that are indisputable. We ought not be confused about it. There's a whole lot of them. God makes his moral and ethical boundaries pretty well known and clear. But that's not what we're talking about now. There are other matters like the ones I introduced earlier, which really are matters of uh, Christian liberty and freedom of conscience. Now, maybe some of you dis- disagree with that, but I, I think most of you probably agree. And here's the point. How do you and how do I relate to other Christians whose approaches to some of the issues we displayed differ from yours? How do, you, how do you connect? How do you relate? What is your attitude to those who have a different uh, notion of what the best Bible translation is? Uh, whether cigar smoking is okay. Uh, who, who opt for a schooling option for children that's different than yours. Who see no problem with tattoos. How do you, you know, stuff like that. How do you relate to Christians... Uh, I mean, as saved as you are, whose uh, convictions in these areas of liberty differ from yours. Well, that is exactly what we're going to talk about tonight. And I'd like to begin by showing you it's in Romans chapter 14, uh, what Paul has to say about this. So, Romans 14, whole chapters about this stuff matters of Christian liberty and how we're supposed to deal with it. And so this is what Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 14. He says, now accept the one who is weak in faith. Is that what your translations say? Now accept the one, something like that, who is weak. Does anyone have a translation that reads something like this? Now accept the one who is weak in the faith. Anyone have something like that? John, do you have that? What translation do you have? That's the King James? Way to go. That's like the first time ever the King James is correct. <laughs> it's just a joke. We're just, we're friends here. I mean, but that's actually true. It, it, it really should read, except the one who was weak in the faith. You see, in the Greek text, that definite article is there. It's not found. In most translations, I don't know why, but it ought to be. Because Paul's point is this. Uh, we who are Christians must realize there are all different levels of maturity in the Christian life. We just saw this, these wonderful people who are baptized tonight. And uh, I think that lady right there who, yeah, who, who, who came to know the Lord just a half an hour ago and was baptized. What's your name again? Lisa, God bless you. Do you know you are already a blessing to the rest of us? I mean it. For you to be so quickly excited about what the Lord has done for you, to the extent that you would be baptized in front of a whole bunch of strangers, is a real blessing. He must really mean something to you. Well, Lisa is new in the faith, is she not? She's as much in the faith as any of us, but we're growing at different stages. And so uh, this text speaks about those who are weak in the faith. That is to say, perhaps not yet, as mature in the faith, the faith we hold dear, as are others. And one, one manifestation of weakness in the faith, I think, is, uh, is a misunderstanding of grace, You see that a lot. Uh, uh, Every believer realizes that by grace, through faith, in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus, we are saved. Everyone who truly believes knows there isn't a good thing. Lisa, there's not a good thing in me or you. But the Lord Jesus has rescued us, and what he did, because he is good, makes up for all of our sin and stuff like that. We all know that. But then the rub is this. After we come into the family of God by grace, we think we have to live it by effort personal effort. We fail to see that God's favor every step of the way is still very much a function of his grace. And so some of us in the body of Christ simply do not feel the freedom to engage in certain practices that others do. Uh, Some of us may refer to them as being narrow or maybe even legalistic, which is the wrong term to use. But anyway, some of us may think that because grace, it's a tough thing to accept. Think about it. We know what we're made of and to think that by God's grace we still have his favor and he loves us and will never let us go, that's a tough one. And so, in many cases, the weaker, the one who is weak in the faith doesn't really yet fully understand the God of all grace. And with reference to that one Paul says, here's what we're supposed to do. The rest of us who think we're mature, we're supposed to Accept the one who is immature yet growing. And so uh, if, you, if you more fully understand grace, I, I suppose you can consider yourself to be mature in the faith, and then how are you to relate to one who is weak in the faith? It's very clear. You, you are to accept him. See that word accept? It's a great word. It means to open your heart to someone. It's really some. It means to spread your arms wide and say there's nothing between you and I. Come stand alongside me. Did you know there's no, to my knowledge, commandment in the Bible that says thou shalt understand one another? Isn't that a good thing? Because we just don't. I don't understand why You like the things you do. You don't understand why I like the things I do. When I met my wife a long time ago, uh, she was really into Agatha Christie novels. You know her mystery stuff? I mean, there's like 80 of them. And she read about every one about four times. So I thought, you know, well, let let me try to relate. So I got a couple of these Agatha Christie things. They're horrible. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, it's what is, what is she talking, why don't you just, why are you beating around the bush? Just tell me who the murderer is. It's the butler, usually. I mean, why do you got to take 130 pages and it's in England and it's not, it's, I suppose it's the same language, but it's like a foreign language and, you know, I just don't get it. So, I'm so glad that the Lord doesn't say, I command you to understand your wife. It doesn't say that. It says, accept one another. You see, that is a biblical command. So this means you who think you're more mature in the faith than a weaker brother who has a Different conviction about some of the things we displayed earlier. You might have a tendency to close yourself to that person, to deny that person access to you and even your fellowship. And God is saying, Oh, no, no, no. Your posture towards that person has to be one of acceptance and openness. You are supposed to invite that one into relationship with you and with the fellowship you are a part of. And for what reason? Well, here's what it says there in verse 1. Not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. Now, that'll get you. See, you find somebody, and you say, well, man, that person uh, uh, has no TV. That person has just thinks TV, you know, that's like the devil's box. And so that person has removed all TVs from his or her home, doesn't want the kids to be exposed to it. Well, I got to set that person straight. You know, there's nothing inherently wrong about the TV. It's just some of the stuff you watch on TV. You know, so you go through these gyrations. So you say, I, I have I-, I have a conditional relationship with that person. Uh, our uh, continuation in our relationship is contingent on whether or not I can succeed in persuading that person that that person is too narrow and too legalistic and all that other kind of stuff. You see, well, that's very, very tempting, you see. And, and, and Paul says, don't do it. You're supposed to grant access to your heart to that person. No strings attached. Don't do it for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. Bring that person alongside for the purpose of encouragement and nurture and discipleship and growth and love. Now, the love thing is really, really tricky. A pastor by the name of uh, Brian Bell said this about love. He said, your love may be tested more by Christians who disagree with you than by unbelievers who persecute you. Have you found that to be true? Good night I have. Man, oh man, oh man. I know somebody who is persuaded a particular translation of the Bible is the only one. It's the only really inspired and inerrant translation. And I think the translation this person is referring to is superb excellent. But this person takes it a little step further. There is no alternative to this translation, says this very uh, sincere, uh, passionate individual. But this person drives me nuts. I Because any time I come upon this person... That's the subject, not the contents of the Bible in any translation, but this argument about the preferred uh, translation. And I, I go crazy, and I find myself not wanting to have anything to do with that person, even though I know that person is redeemed saved in the fold and all that. So I'm actually doing what I just found out I'm not supposed to do, and that is I'm, I'm denying access to that person. I don't want anything to do with that person except I could find something online, you know, that I can send to that person to prove him wrong. But Paul says, no, that is not to be the basis of our relationship. It doesn't, it doesn't work. Now, in verse 2, Paul goes on to draw on a specific matter that was a big deal in his day. It isn't so much in our day, but it was in his day. And it had to do with what you eat. So here's what it says. One person has faith that he may eat all things. But he who is weak eats vegetables only. And they say, what is up with that? It's right in the Bible. I'm not making this up. There it is. See, here's the deal. Uh, The people of the day, Jews in particular in the day, who came to faith in the Lord Jesus, uh, they were concerned about eating uh, meat that may have been first offered to false gods, idols in sacrifice. And they would be eating the leftovers. So first, you know, you offer this stuff uh, to a false god, and then what's left over, you you get to eat. That's how it was. They didn't know all the time whether they... Meat they bought in the market had been previously dedicated to the worship of a false god, and so, as as to be careful, so as not to defile themselves, they decided we're not eating meat at all. That's it. We're only eating like asparagus, only only vegetables, and so um, that's that was the issue. Y- y- why is it an issue? Because it ceased to be private and it got to be public, and people were dividing. Christians were dividing over this big time, and they were showing disrespect uh, to those who had a different point of uh, of view. Now, others had no such concern because they said, Hey, look at this meat is neutral, it's not good or bad, it's just, it's not spiritually good or bad, it's just stuff. And so they felt the freedom, the liberty before Christ to eat it. Yeah, but what if it was offered to idols? So what? It's not, I'm not offering it to idols. I'm just eating that cheeseburger for crying out Of course, they wouldn't have been eating cheeseburgers because, never mind, that's in, in that day. But, 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 you see, they would say, they'd have no problem. They would say, this is, this, this is not the issue for crying out loud. And so there was this big uh, dissension over there. Now, there's a solution to it. Uh, you know, perhaps you can think of it, and, and it's this two churches. That, you mean they just, or they should have a church split, see? And the one church would be called uh, the First Baptist Church of the Meat Eaters. And then the other church could be the Second Baptist Church of the Vegetarians. And you see, then they can get along. By the way, folks, that's not so ridiculous. Do you know most churches don't split over substantial theological matters? They split over dumb stuff like that. You know what they split over? Worship style. Mm. Yeah. Enjoy the silence for a second or two. Yeah. Happens all the... Happens all the, the time. But Paul did not want Christians united by the blood of the Lamb to split over something as really foolish as whether you're eating hot dogs or asparagus. I mean, he, he, he had another approach to this, and it's in verse 3. He said, the one who eats, the one who has no problem eating meat, is not to regard with contempt The one who doesn't eat meat. And the one who does not eat meat, the vegetarian, is not to judge the one who eats. For God has accepted him. Ooh, that'll kill you right there. God is... Here's the point. What right do we have as Christians to reject another Christian whom the Christ has accepted? That's what it's saying. Oh my goodness, that'll that'll get you. Paul goes on in verse 4 to say, Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls. So we are not to be each other's lord or judge. We are equals as brothers and sisters in Christ. And each of us is answerable not to one another about these matters of Christian liberty. We are answerable to the master almighty God. And it says he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. Let's say you run into a Christian you think is weak in the faith and doesn't feel the freedom to do the kinds of things you do. And it's just a big deal for that person. You know, I'll tell you this, but uh, I remember years ago, I was uh, a pastor of a church in another state just a long time ago. And uh, so this is kind of a different age and on sunday nights i mean every sunday morning every guy wore a suit and tie it was it was years ago it was just a different climate and different culture and stuff like that and i knew how to tie ties in that day i have i've since forgotten so but on sunday night we had sunday evening service every church worth its salt had a sunday evening service in that day and so uh but it was it was had a more informal kind of a flavor so a lot of people dressed down, not sloppy, nothing crazy like that. Just dressed down. So I would wear a shirt, um, you know, one of these open collar things, but with I wore a jacket, but without a tie. You know, they didn't have shirts like this uh, outside, you know, that cover the love handles. They the, you know, they all stuck into your pants in those days. So so I, 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 that's I had a sport jacket on and open shirt like this, and a lady, a really fine lady, came up to me after a a Sunday evening service, and she said, uh, she said, pastor, with all due respect, I can no longer regard you as a pastor. Uh, So uh, I asked her why. She said, because you're not wearing a tie. Well, you know, there's a lot of things I could have said about that, and But she was not a troublemaker. She was not a difficult lady. She was a sincere Christian who had this conviction in an area of Christian liberty. I could have said, well, you're just weak in the faith and you don't feel the freedom, you know, to go tireless and all the rest. And that's, but I do, you know, tough. That's, that's, but I, I didn't do it. Thank God I uh, it was a good decision, I think, at the time. I, d- I just decided the next Sunday night I will wear a tie, and that 's what, what I did. I did not want to cause her to stumble over something as as foolish, but it wasn 't foolish to her. You see what I mean? It, it is to me, but it wasn 't to her as foolish as attire, uh, church attire. so, so, so here 's the deal. If I think she 's wrong about that tie conviction, too bad he will, she will stand, for the Lord is able to make her stand. God will sort it out. I'm not her Lord, and I'm not her judge. In other words, uh, those of us who think maybe we're more mature in the faith than maybe others, you know what we ought to do? We ought to mind our own beeswax. Isn't that a Very theologically uh, uh, accurate statement. We ought to mind our. By the way, do you know that phrase "Mind your own beeswax"? You know where we got that? Uh, It took place around the time of the American Revolution. This is this is true, I think maybe. Um, Ladies would take beeswax if they had skin blemishes. They would apply the beeswax to their face. It was a skin. Thing, a covering and a conditioner, but sometimes other curious ladies would really look uh, at the face of the beeswax lady because maybe it didn't cover the blemish entirely, and so um, the lady who was being stared at would then say, "Hey, mind your own beeswax." So that's where that's where it sort of. uh, came from, and I think it's a good biblical principle in this case. And so in verse 5, uh, Paul uh, brings up another one of these matters, which is, is up to the individual. It's not about food. It was about, it was about the day you choose to worship. Look at this. Verse 5, one person regards one day above another. Another regards every day a lie. Now, in this case, the Jewish people regarded, what day do you think they regarded above all others? The Sabbath, absolutely. But in this day, um, uh, a lot of the believers, Jewish and others, were worshiping on Sunday. Why? Resurrection, absolutely, the Lord's Day. So some were transitioning from Sabbath observance to Sunday worship, and it was causing tremendous conflict and animosity. It does in many circles even today. And Paul is saying, look, it's a matter of Christian liberty. The day that the people of God choose to gather together is not the big issue that they're gathering together in his name to worship him wholeheartedly. That's the big issue. That's kind of what he's saying. And so he says, you know, with regarding to the day of worship, one person sees it this way, another person sees it that way, but here's what the text says: each person must be fully convinced in his own mind, that's the principle. You have to work it out yourself. A lot of us don't like this, because we want to be told what to do, And there's always someone or some organization will tell you what to do. But but God wants us to mature in the faith and search these things out ourselves and grow and consider biblical principles and get counsel and seek to honor our Father. He doesn't want to just in a mechanical way have us jump through hoops. He wants us to consider what's right, what would please him, what would Jesus do. You see that kind of thing? So each person has to be fully convinced. In his own mind. One time in here, earlier in Romans, I was sharing on an issue. I think the issue was predestination versus free will. And that's really dividing a lot of our churches and seminaries and all this kind of stuff. And there's schools of thought, you know, they have names. And and I think I remember sharing on that occasion, yeah, I, I don't know how to resolve it think I was saying that. I think I was saying stuff like, I don't know how these, they seem to be competing truths. I don't know how they are integrated and harmonized, but I, I know they are in the mind of God. They're just not in my mind. So, I, I don't know what is it. Did Jesus choose me or did I choose him? But, and I remember saying, it's both, you know. I, now, let's, let's go get a cheeseburger or so. I don't know what I said. I wasn't trying to be flippant. I was just trying to say, I I, I don't know. Well, a guy sent an email berating me for standing up in front of wonderful people like you and causing you to stumble. Because as a minister, I'm supposed to know the answers. But don't you think a valid answer when you deal with some of these lofty theological truths, don't you think a valid answer is, I don't know? good night. I don't fully comprehend God, do you? Man, oh man, oh man. So, so in some of these things, I don't know. You have to work it out. You have to sort of figure it out. You have to figure it out yourself. You know what God's concerned about? Not, in my opinion, what our final position is with regard to all these matters of Christian liberty, but the motive behind it. How did we get to that position? That's the most important kind of a thing. And this is brought out in verse 6. He who observes the day, observes it for the Lord. He who eats, does so for the Lord. For he gives thanks to God, and he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat and give thanks to God. Don't you see? It's the hard attitude behind the practice. It's not about the practice in a non-essential area that the scriptures don't clearly prohibit. So here's the point. No Christian should make his own personal conviction the standard for all Christians. Can you buy that one? Do you know that's a cult-like mentality? When in areas of liberty, how you dress, what you're real- recreational pursuits are, the length of your hair, you know, all this kind of stuff, whether you go to movies or not, whether women can wear pants, you know, on and on and on. Folks, when you raise your personal preference to the level of a biblical standard, (gasps) you have really, really crossed the line. You're entitled to your heartfelt passionate, uh, thought through conviction, but you don't have a right to use it as a barometer of someone else's spirituality. We we, We don't get... It's very interesting to me. Younger people judge older people who don't like their music. That's what they do. And older people judge younger people because of their music. Why can't we just say... I personally prefer a different kind of music. Why do we have to label it the music of the devil? That just means perhaps you don't have uh, the right kind of rhythm to clap to it. Maybe that's what it is. You just don't have rhythm. I I mean, we all have our our preferences, but to use it as a barometer of spiritual. Do you know a guy wrote an article one time? He said when pastors use acrylic pulpits, remember those things they, they, they see through the clear plastic kind of a deal? When you go away from a wooden pulpit to an acrylic pulpit, that's one of the surefire signs of a drift into liberalism. Holy moly, that's the measure of spirituality? What the pulpit is made of for crying out? You see what? Now, if a guy says, I'm not doing that acrylic stuff, that is not a problem. But again, to elevate a personal preference to the level of biblical authority and use it as a measure of someone else's spirituality, folks, then we've really, really... We have really crossed the line. So in the Victorian era in England, two of the most well-known Christians and, I mean, giants in the faith, magnificent preachers were um, Charles Spurgeon and Joseph Parker. You can read their writings even today. It's, oh my goodness, lofty. And they were close friends and brothers in Christ. They had close fellowship. In fact, they would oftentimes exchange pulpits, one preaching in the other's church. But then it all fell apart. They had a big conflict, and it was about uh, this. Spurgeon accused Parker of being unspiritual because he went to the theater from time to time. We're not talking about movies. We're talking about the theater. And then Parker returned the favor and accused Spurgeon of being unspiritual because he smoked cigars. Did you know that? Charles Spurgeon smoked cigars. He was asked about it one time, and he says, I feel that I can smoke cigars to the glory of God. That's what he said. So anyway, they had a big to-do, and it even made it to the newspapers. So what are people th- Who's right, Spurgeon or Parker? Who's wrong? Well, come on. These are matters of personal preference. You can't use your personal conviction as a means by which you judge the spirituality of another person. Look, the main thing is to be, have you ever heard of this? Living proof of a loving God to a watching world isn 't that the main thing it 's not about cigars or theaters or ties or musical tastes. The main thing is to be living proof. was Spurgeon and Parker were they living proof of a loving God to the readership of that newspaper? No, they were not. They separated over goofy stuff. Matters of Christian liberty, even men of such renown, it's possible to do it. You can confuse, you can have such a deep conviction about a particular thing, you think it must be God's standard for everybody else. Unless you can point to a chapter and verse, it's not. It's just your area of preference. And so Paul says in verses 7 and 8, Not one of us lives for himself. Not one of us dies for himself. Because if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we're the Lords. I don't know a clear statement on the Lordship of Christ in all the Bible. Here's the point. We're not each other's Lords. We bow before one Lord. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of us is under his lordship and so every one of us must take this into account with regard to any choices we make in areas of Christian liberty. You know we argue about the uh, uh, we do argue about social drinking. Social drinking. Um in different ones have different points of view, let's just be honest. Some believers believe there is uh, a weight of biblical Authoritative commandment against uh, the drinking of alcoholic beverages of any kind. Other believers feel very strongly about it, uh, but 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 their conviction is not based on uh, uh, a biblical commandment as much as a number of biblical principles. So that, that's kind of that's where I am. I was a missionary in Germany uh, years ago. I think I told you this, but I'll, I'll do it again. Went out to, to eat at a German restaurant with three other guys, military guys. I was a missionary to American military in, uh, in Germany. <clears throat> and uh, one guy was kind of a new guy. I didn't know him that well. I knew the other two guys. I was discipling them. Uh, and so we sat down and we ordered. And uh, I ordered, this can really get me in trouble here, but uh, I, I ordered a beer. There you go. Uh, yeah, it was, a, it was called a Weizen beer, wheat beer. And uh, it was like in a thing this big. Oh, my goodness. So there. In, in Germany, uh, beer drinking is like water drinking. In fact, in a lot of German restaurants, they don't serve water. So I'm not thinking anything. Now, this was 30, 35 years ago, longer. So please take that into account. So uh, I I had the beer there, and uh, um, the new guy comes up to me later. He says, uh, I wish you didn't do that. I I, I said, do what? I didn't know what he was talking about. He said, order and drink that beer in front of me. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, uh, I've struggled with alcohol for years and years. I am an alcoholic. I have just come to know the Lord Jesus. I'm looking up to people like you. And you just made it rough on me. And I, I was just crushed. I begged him for forgiveness. I didn't beg the Lord for forgiveness. I thanked him for forgiving me even of that. And I, 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 I think this isn't too strong. I swore I'll never drink again, never Not because I had a specific chapter and verse that says thou shalt not. i got to tell you something. We shouldn't need that. There should be a consideration of the lordship of Jesus Christ. Lord, if I feel the freedom to pleasure myself with this beer, but in the course of doing so, it hurts another guy. Am I not willing to give up my pleasure for him when you gave up your life for me? Don't you see how it is? So I'm not saying go out and do whatever you want. I didn't say that. I said consider uh, everything that's a matter of Christian liberty in light of the lordship of Christ, how it affects other people. Verse 9, for to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living, but you... Why do you judge your brother? You again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? We will all stand before the judgment seat of God. I gotta tell you something. The context is all believers will be judged. Now that'll shake you up because uh, we've been preaching around here that all sin is judged at the cross of Christ. You see? That's true. This judgment seat of Christ, the one involving believers, is not with reference to sin. It's with reference to how we conducted ourselves as saved people in the body of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ is not where God judges us with reference to sin. The wrath of God has already been poured out fully on the Lord Jesus Christ. Lisa, in case someone ever asks you, you say, I'm saved. They say, what are you saved from? You say, the anger of God. You say that, at least you say, the wrath of God. Why? Because he put it all on his son. And Jesus said, it is finished. It is enough. So no, we will never experience the wrath of God, but he will disseminate rewards to us on the basis, you know how? Of how we're relating to one another. You see what I mean? How we respond to one another, whether we're loving one another. Once again, the text in essence says, mind your own beeswax. Essentially is what it's, what it's saying. Don't judge your brother in non-essential matters. God can take care of him. Judge yourself because God is going to judge you. Now verse 11. It's written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore. Rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. I know and am convinced, Paul said this, I know, I'm convinced in the Lord Jesus, nothing is unclean. So Paul would have been one a little more flexible, you see. He knew no thing has inherent uncleanness, no food, nothing like that. But to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it's unclean. You know what Paul's saying? If I feel free to eat meat or do this or do that, but another well-intentioned Christian does not, but if I twist his arm and coerce him into doing it such that his conscience is violated, to him it becomes sin, and I have caused him to stumble. You see what I mean? That's kind of what's going on over there. So verse 15, if because of food your brother is hurt, You're no longer walking according to love. Don't destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. In other words, don't stumble each other over doubtful things. That is horrible grammar, isn't it? Don't stumble each other. But I did it on purpose. That's the deal. We're entitled. We're free to make our own decisions in the non-essential matters of the uh, Christian life, areas of Christian liberty. But we must not ever exercise our liberty to the extent that it causes trouble for somebody else. This is expressed in verses 16 and 17. Therefore, don't let what is for you a good thing. You know what's a good thing for you? To be free in Christ. Don't let that freedom be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what it says. The kingdom of God is not about what you drink, what you eat, how you dress, what movies you go to or don't go to, what form of schooling you choose for your kids. That's not, the kingdom of God is not all that external stuff, it's internal stuff. It's about righteousness and peace and joy, not staking out our ground on the basis of all of these non essential matters. Ray Stedman, ever hear of him? Great pastor of California. He told the story of a church out there. It was Christmas time. They were having a Christmas program. And uh, so one group of the people in the church were getting a big old Christmas tree to set up. But another group, you know where this is going, another group, they said, oh, no, Christmas tree, pagan. You know, that's, that's pagan stuff. Can't have it. So they were not getting along at all. So the, the group who wanted the tree put it in the church. The group who didn't want the tree pulled it out. The group who wanted it put it back in. And it was just like a tug-of-war kind of a thing. This is true. It ended in a fist fight amongst church members and lawsuits one group against the other group. And it made it to the newspapers again, once again. Folks, is that the is that what it means <laughs> to be... <laughs> representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that what it means to be a subject of the king and in the kingdom? Is that is that, does that have anything to do with righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit? Folks, once again, the main thing is to be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. And if we place our personal preferences over righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, we are way out of touch with God's priorities and with God's heart. Way out of touch. You see verse 18, for he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Don't tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they're evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It's good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. It's as if the Holy Spirit is saying to us, you know, you are free. But you must not use your freedom in this particular area... Because if you do, you're going to cause your brother to stumble. And then we must be free to choose not to do what we are, in fact, free to do. When my mother, who's going to be 99, became a Christian in her 60s, she, at a get-together with some folks, uh, graciously passed by part of what was being served it was ham she let the ham go by there was other stuff to eat uh the people there or the believers called her on that and started to preach to her about the freedom we have in christ now you know the ham isn't defiled it's not what goes in you it's just what comes out you You know all this kind of stuff bible verses and the whole deal uh to my uh uh, uh Jewish mother. But they missed the whole point. Uh, she is free to eat ham, but she also is free not to. And for someone to put pressure on her, freedom is to use their good thing as an evil in her life and to cause her to stumble. And if they succeeded in persuading her and she ate the ham and it defiled her conscience, for her, it is sin. Because whatever is not from faith is sin, you see. So our Christian lives, folks, must be guided by the principle of love, not liberty. One time I was pastoring a church um, and uh a lady came to me and wanted to discuss women 's roles in the church, and that is always such a delightful and fun topic and so uh, we did, and uh, i shared she shared and stuff like that, and she said, based on my studies said she um, you know i 'm uh, persuaded that a woman can' do anything in the church except be the senior pastor and therefore said she i i uh, I want to uh, be considered as a deaconess, part of the diaconate, the the body of deacons, is is what she said. I said, well, here's the deal. Um, Even if you are correct and you are permitted to occupy uh, that office in the church, the mere fact that you are insisting on it tells me you're not qualified. That's what I told her. You see what I mean? Even if she had the liberty to apply for the position, to insist, on, I told her, look, you may be ready for this, but if the church is not and you insist on it to the detriment of the church, a good thing for you has become a bad thing for the church. And if you're more concerned about your personal liberty than loving the body of Christ, you're not qualified to be a deacon in this particular church so that's how i i kind of copped out didn't i i really but it worked it worked and she went to a methodist church or something i don't know what the deal is (laughs) folks we have to think more about our responsibilities to one another than our rights right we got to be careful got to be careful about this. Verse 22, the faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God happy. Is he who doesn't condemn himself and what he approves? But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith. And whatever, you see, is not from faith is sin. In other words, what's right for one person may be the ruin of another, you see? If a person believes something to be wrong. And then if he does it, for him it is sin. Therefore, I like this one. When in doubt, don't. That's a good one. When in doubt about a particular thing the Scriptures don't specifically address. When in doubt, don't. You know, again, when it comes to the drinking thing, it's not like I'm focused on that, but it's like a big issue. You hear well-intentioned Christians on all sides of that issue, which to me means it's a controversial issue. And therefore, I'm doubtful about it. So, when in doubt, I don't. I want to know why certain people require more than that. I don't understand that. If we're living under the lordship of Jesus Christ, when in doubt, don't. So, in closing, uh, I think, Paul, here in chapter 14, did you notice we covered the entire chapter? Holy moly. Thank you. I've never seen such enthusiasm before. Anyway, uh. Uh, I think he wants us to be reminded to keep the main thing, the main thing, and the main thing is the gospel of Jesus Christ, by which anyone who is saved is saved. This is to be the basis of our fellowship. The tie that binds is not the tie we wear or do not wear. It's not our, our eating habits, whether, whether, whether we you know eat only organic or... I mean, people fight over this. Come on. The tie that binds is a recognition of a common denominator. We have a sin nature. We owe God a debt we could not pay, and he paid it for each of us. That's the tie that binds. And in the non... That's essential. But in the non-essential areas... God can judge us. So we don't want this closing poem uh, and what it expresses, I think, to be the basis of our fellowship. Look, believe as I believe, no more, no less, that I am right and no one else confess. Feel as I feel, think only as I think. Eat what I eat and drink what I drink. Look as I look. Do always as I do, then and only then will I fellowship with you. Come on. Not good. How do we erect a wall with reference to those to whom the Lord Jesus said, I accept you. I open my heart to you. Come to me all who weary and heavy laden and I will give you Rest. I want to ask you to do something here, folks. Could you stand to your uh, feet? Thank you for your attention and patience. Uh, I'd like to give you and me an opportunity to pray here uh, at the altar and to kneel, to stand. Has there been anything in this chapter? Romans 14, that pinged off of you, that has made you to think. Is there an area of choice in your life that you have some doubts about? Would you like the Lord to give you wisdom about it? Is there somebody, a Christian who has different convictions than yours, who you're just not getting along with, and, would love to be reconciled to. Is there somebody who's just blinded to the grace of God and needs to know about it? In the next few uh, moments, just as you feel that, I would like to ask you to come forward and pray about any issue that this particular text has given rise to. One issue might be Stuart is way off base. And you may be right. Come and pray for me. Whatever it is, folks, just now come out of your seat and come and kneel just for the next few moments. I'm going to join you because there's something on my mind, and I want to kneel before Almighty God, too, and speak to him a little bit, if you'd like. You could just wait in silence for a few seconds so that the Lord speaks to your heart, maybe in the power of his spirit. He's Put his finger on an area of your life. I'd like to think that the word of God, uh, when it goes forth, does not come, come back void. Uh, one of our purposes whenever we gather is not to be informed only. It is to be transformed. So if there's an area in which you feel the Lord is moving you to be concerned about, please make your way forward at this time. Pray at the altar, please.